Hi everyone, this is Liz. This is our premiere episode of Quarter Life Crisis. I want to thank you so much for being here and for supporting me. And I also want to give a huge shout out to our guests during these first few episodes. This is a major learning curve for me. So if there are some audio issues or things that you think would be better, please hang in there. Don't give up on me. And if you know anybody who would like to be interviewed on the show of any age, any status, just somebody who has a good story, I would love to hear about it. QLCpod.contact at gmail.com is the best way to reach me. And again, thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome to Quarter Life Crisis. I'm your host, Liz, and I am here with Mark Brody, a good friend and a professor at Emerson College. Today we are going to be talking about life from 25 to, can you, will you say how old you are on the show? Well, 57. 57. All right. Although I feel like I'm 25. There you go. That's good. So from, from 25 to 57, you know, what, what, what can't we cover in those times? So first I just wanted to ask you, who are you? Can you introduce yourself to the class? Sure. I'm Mark Brody. I'm a professor of communication studies at Emerson College. Uh, prior to that, I was a photojournalist, commercial photographer, and then a marketing guy. Nice. Nice. I also work in marketing. So there you go. And you have a podcast. And I have a podcast for Emerson College. Yes. Yes. I wanted to know first and foremost, because this show is going to be about what we view as success and what we view as goals and how we move towards those. What would you view now as your biggest personal successes? Being a good father and husband. I know that sounds trite, especially to someone who might be younger, 25, might not be a parent yet, might not have a, a spouse. But as I've progressed through my years, one of the things I've learned is that when you look at what really matters, I've come to the conclusion that what really matters is family. Awesome. When you were 25, if I had asked you, what is your biggest personal success? What do you think you would have said? Uh, at 25, it was getting a, a job that paid regularly, that provided interesting adventures. What was your, um, <clears throat> what was your big pressure when you were 25? What did you think you really needed to do to be successful? What was your sort of like big plan? So when I was 25, I was breaking into photojournalism. So back then it was, oh, I should go take on some dangerous assignment somewhere to make a name for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that, I, I took a few risks and paid off fairly well in terms of the life opportunities. But looking back, I'm like, what an idiot. Why did I do those stupid things? I mean, if my kids had done something like that, I would definitely advise against it. So, you know, there's... There's what we think we should do, and then there's then there's logic. Emotionally, I needed to be a photojournalist, and to do that, I needed to go to far off lands and see exotic people and go experience conflict in the war in the world and all that. In reality, is I didn't need to do that, but I thought that was part of my identity, and I thought, okay, well, off I go. I'm going to go take some risks. Did you uh, did you learn any valuable lessons from that from those those photo trips? Well, some real practical things. First is uh, tear gas doesn't come out of your clothing very easily. So always, always pack extra sets of underwear. 
Can you tell us where, where did you go? What were the, what were the risky trips that you took? Uh, well, I, I spent some time in Central America. I was in the Middle East a little bit. I got tear gassed in Brussels during a NATO, what was a protest for uh, inter, intermediary ballistic missiles that the U.S. wanted to put in. Again, this is back in the 80s. But there was a, uh, a protest. It became a riot, and I was, I was covering the assignment for UPI, and I got tear gassed, which is not a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not glamorous. It, it sounds, Oh, how cool you get to see a pro. No, 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 it hurts. And you smell bad. And it's like getting sprayed by a skunk. You can't get that stuff off you very easily. Yeah. That sounds pretty intense. <laughs> I can understand why you wouldn't advise your kids to do that. I think we all take uh, risks when we're younger that we feel like are, are, Oh, that's going to be really cool. You know, I've definitely done that. Um, you know, I'm 25, but I would say when I was 18, 19, 20, I thought like the meaning of life was adventure and like doing everything for the sake of adventure. And now I'm like, Oh man, adventuring on your own is not that fun. I want to adventure with people that I like love and care about. And I have to nurture those relationships and also, you know, take care of myself. And it makes sense because at 25, I know I was just trying to find out who, who is this person whose body I, I'm embodying, <laughs> who I'm standing in for. And it was the whole idea of who am I and what am I all about? And you know, experiencing new things. We're not as bulletproof as we'd like to believe we are. If you can look at the, the upside and maybe run it through a few other people that aren't as emotionally invested in terms of the decision you're going to make. Like, you know, should I quit my job and travel through Africa right now? Okay. Well, mm -hmm. let's talk about that. What's the upside. Oh, you get to experience some cool things. Yeah, you could, you could also experience some really uncool things. What's the over and under on cool versus uncool. And could <laughs> you get that same fulfillment doing something else? I'm wondering with your uh, adventuring and risk-taking, did you feel like part of it was wanting to just fast track? Because I feel like a lot of the unrest that, you know, I feel in myself and that I hear from, you know, a lot of my friends and especially, you know, I think now I'm settling into my career a little bit more, but I know that previously I was sort of like, I'm not moving fast enough. Well, yeah, you know, I think you touched on a few things. You know, one, one of those is who's, what's the persona that we're trying to live up to? So in my case, it was a photojournalist and I thought I was this swashbuckling uh, photojournalist vest wearing camera toting photo god that would go into various places of the world, capture iconic images that would change humanity. Mm -hmm. Only to find out occasionally my images would run on UPI. I would never see them because I was always like in the field. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes I'd get the money I would generate from shooting would catch up to me and I might have enough money for a beer and a pizza and I would <laughs> tell them. Uh, but more importantly, the, my objective to create iconic images that would change the world didn't happen. So mm. there's a motto in photography. You're only as good as your last shot. And we're a competitive crew by nature. So yeah, it's bragging rights, bragging rights to your buddies. Hey, you know, I got the cover of some obscure newspaper. Okay, whoop-de-doo. Makes you feel good. But other than, you know, other than that little dopamine hit of, oh, I got my images published somewhere. Hey, I made some money. Are you really accomplishing the objective of a higher calling of like doing something that changes humanity? No. Yeah. Um, but you're trying to live up to that persona. So it, it takes a little while, at least in my case, it took a little while to figure out, hey, you know, I'm chasing my own tail and I can go out and I can 
I can shoot all these great stories and meet some wonderful people who I'll never meet again because I'm going to be traveling. And uh, what's the point? It took a long time to figure that part out. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's interesting because so Mark and I have been on uh, trips through Emerson College to uh, Mexico. Um, I Did you go to Iceland? I mean, no, it wasn't I Iceland. It was Barcelona. No. Barcelona, you've done Barcelona. So there's, you still are traveling and, you know, engaging in photojournalism, you know, and now you're working with students. What do you think is the difference between the traveling and working that you're doing now and the traveling and working of when you were 25? Having a family and then having had two heart attacks, that had something to do with it. Yeah. So short version, long story. Uh, seven, seven years ago, I had two heart attacks in two days. And when I came out of that experience, I realized, you know, doing this corporate thing, making money for everybody else, that's just not important. Um, what's important is actually doing something more meaningful. So I'm lucky in that I've been, I've been lucky as a marketer working in the startup world. I made decent money. Mm -hmm. uh, so then when my attitude shifted and I had my little epiphany, if you will, my own little midlife crisis, if you will, I was like, what do I want to do? And I found out that teaching and giving back is a lot more fulfilling than making some millionaire even more rich. I, I came back to the fold. I went to Emerson College. Now I'm back there as an instructor. And it's great. I get to teach what I love to do to people that like to hear what I have to say. So it, I feel good because I'm, I'm passing it on. I'm paying it forward. Um, I'm with like-minded souls. I'm, I'm probably one of the luckiest people you'll ever meet. <laughs> I'm serious. It's the school of hard knocks. And I, I think, you know, by... By having an open mindset, um, by availing yourself to opportunities, but then thinking them through, thinking how that impacts yourself and, and everybody else. I didn't always think that way. It, it took a long time to get there. And because you think about it, what, what is the ultimate goal of life? And you know, this is a big question for someone who's far more intelligent than I could ever hope to be. But to me, it's what brings you happiness, what brings you joy, and how can you share that with others? And I don't mean to sound silly or trite. But, you know, it's interesting. In every major religion of the world, there's this idea. Love thyself, love thy neighbor, love thy God. Now, if we take the word God out and replace it with community, you look at the whole, that concept, that works in all these major religions. And it's interesting, the specific order. It's deal with yourself first before you can deal with everybody else. And once you can deal with that, then you can deal with, like, the larger community as a whole. But it all starts with you. Mm. If you're miserable, then, you know, then making somebody else happy yeah, it might make you feel a little bit better, but you got to deal with yourself first before all these other things are really going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I've definitely had to learn. in even just the last few years, I think that I've, I've always been a people pleaser. And I think that when I sort of went from the school environment where it felt like, you know, you're sort of in a community where everybody takes care of each other. And I went into just the working world and, you know, I didn't have that community and I've moved a couple of times. I'm in Los Angeles now. And there is sort of this grown up feeling of nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's coming to bail you out. So if you're, you know, bailing other people out at your own expense and you're, you know, pouring from an empty cup, it's not sustainable. And it took me a little while to realize that 
I am not selfish by taking a day to take care of me or by setting boundaries. I'm burnt out and I'm tired and it's Friday and I don't want to go out and I'm just going to stay in. And if you love me, you, you're going to give me a break, you know, because I would never be mad at somebody for needing a break. <laughs> and, and good on you. That, you know, way back in my day, I was, uh, but you know, when I was 25, I wasn't aware of the term mindfulness or self-care. Mm -hmm. you know, as far as I know, they didn't exist it, or if they did, that was for some tree hugging hippie, which that was not the lifestyle I was seeking. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh my lord, this totally makes sense. Again, um, love thyself, love thy neighbor, love thy God. You know, when the when you're flying and the airplane's crashing and that little thing comes down, you put the you put the air mask on yourself first before you do the others. I'm not yeah. saying put yourself above all uh, all else and, and others all the time. But if you can't deal with what's going on at, at home in your own head, then how are you going to deal with everything else? Yeah. And yeah. Like you look at here's. Here's something that my generation didn't have to deal with social media. Mm. You, know, we, you know, we had to compare ourselves with people we saw on TV and maybe in a magazine, a print magazine, like something you would actually hold in your hand. Yeah. Now, we've got these computers in our pockets. We've got these laptops, one of which we're both talking into right now. Yep. And we're constantly, you know, the visual bombardment of, oh, how cool these other people are. And maybe we should be like that when no, half that stuff's Photoshop. And I know that's true because I'm the guy doing the Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally relate to that. I think that's such a difficult part of of being in my generation is the insecurity of being, you know, young and feeling like maybe you don't have it together. And then this constant you know collage of everybody in the moments where they feel like they have it all together and and sort of no no vulnerability no space for vulnerability in <clears throat> in these social spaces and when i first moved to la um i was like i didn't know anyone i was living in it was called a co-housing unit it was like a imagine a bunk bed but instead of being a bunk bed it was like boxes and i had a tiny locker to keep my stuff in so i came here i had nothing i had no friends and i came here in november so i was here for thanksgiving i was here for christmas i was here for new year's and like i spent all three by myself and i have one friend who lives here we went out one time we took some cute photos at the beach and when i would talk to people and say oh, how's it going i say you know it's really tough i'm still adjusting they'd say really? It looks like you're having so much fun. I'm like so jealous of you. And I, I just think it's interesting. You know, even people that I'm close with that I talk to all the time have a hard time believing what I'm saying when I'm saying I'm having a hard time because they are so invested in the images that we put out there. But I feel like at this point we buy into social media so much that people almost get a little bit offended. Like, why are you ruining this image? Now that I am really happy <laughs> and settled in here and I do feel really like I'm actually doing what I wanted to do, I'm also not as interested in making it look like I'm having an awesome time because <laughs> I am and I don't need to prove it to anybody. Well, uh, see, that's, you know, that sounds wonderful. That sounds genuine. Yeah. Versus, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm still a photographer and I still have plenty of clients, many of which are trying to be influencers. So for those mm -hmm. clients that are listening, uh, I got your back. I will always make you look good. I just happen to know that the persona that I help create through imagery and branding mm -hmm. and the actual person behind that persona are two completely different people. Yeah. It, yeah. And, 
you know, maybe I'm a hypocrite because I am in the image creation business and on my commercial clients, they, they want to, uh, they want to be perceived in a certain manner. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. What they're really like and the versus the persona that they're portraying, they're two different animals. It's, it's sort of like working around actors and actresses all the time. They're, uh, they portray something, but who they really are, that's much more complex and generally speaking in the shadows. And it's hard. I think a lot of people, especially people who are in entertainment, people who are influencers, people who run businesses, it's like you have to have a social media persona to be uh, competitive, you know? And that persona is, you know, has to sort of follow along the guidelines. That's sort of how it works. And I think that it gets to the point where, for me, you know, now it's different. I have a new job. But in the past, when I've done a lot of work, you know, doing music management, doing things where I'm sort of an ambassador for whoever is cutting me a check, you know, in my personal, you know, Instagram and Facebook or whatever, I'm the one doing the community outreach. I feel like, I don't know how vulnerable I can be. I don't know how sincere I can be. I think I need to just be like shallow and one dimensional so that my, you know, my, I'm, I don't overstep a boundary or I don't get in trouble. And I think that putting a, a space in between your personal and your career gets harder and harder in this digital age. Mm -hmm. I can Google Mark Brody and, you know, if you want to have a personal profile where you talk about what's going on in your personal life. Well, if I'm an employer, I can still judge you for that, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I'm lucky that I'm at a stage of life where I'm self-employed Yeah. and you know, well, and I'm so largely self-employed. I do work for Emerson college. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm i I'm an open book. I am who I am. I'm, I'm happy with that, but I've had the, the benefit of a lot of years to, to learn, to experience things. And you know, you're just starting out. It's, it's a different, well, it's a much different world than the one I occupied at your stage of life. The rules are constantly evolving. So that's, there's a challenge in that itself, but be that as it may, there are more resources out there to help you along that path. So yeah. you don't, I used to liken it to, I was tap dancing in a minefield. Mm. And I think there's probably a lot of people that might have that same attitude. They're just doing the best. They don't know what they're doing, but they're trying real hard. Hey, <laughs> you know what? Everybody's trying. You'll get there. Cut yourself, cut yourself some slack. You don't have to live up to the Kardashians or any of these other influencers. Just be yourself and be content with, with what you've got. Now, you can always work for more and, and you want to always want to improve yourself. But why beat yourself up? Seriously. Yeah. You know, and I'm nobody's 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 advertising their low moments. You know, nobody's like posting on LinkedIn. Today, I got rejected for a job that I really want. And I'm starting to think it's because I'm a horrible person. I'm feeling very sad today. <laughs> you know, is it me? Am I dumb? Am I not good enough? You know, I looked in the mirror and I thought maybe it's because I'm so ugly. Nobody will want to employ me. Nobody's putting those thoughts out there. Everybody's putting out there. I'm so happy to announce that I've achieved my dream job. I'm so happy to be here. And it was, you know, we're not going to talk about what happened in the six months I was unemployed. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's so hard in these like in between spaces to, uh, feel like you aren't alone because people don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up because, you know, you're, you're talking about something that's, that's very human and, you know, 
regardless of the generation, we, we've all gone through these these challenges, and you know, and we all still have them. They just they might be painted a different color or camouflaged a different way, but you know, it's it's part of the human condition. So it's making the best of what you can, and yeah. trying trying not to let don't let the bastards keep you down type of thing. I love that. Okay, so. I'm going to jump back into the questions. What's some advice that you really wish your students could understand? Like something that I think, I think you can tell people advice, but I think that there's some life experiences that you need to have. And what are some things that you just wish you could sort of like instill on your students without having to force them to go through it? <laughs> sure. Uh, better forgiven than forbidden. One of the things I, I see as a trend with students these days is they're waiting for permission to do something. And mm. who knows what that's from? Maybe it was helicopter parents. I, I, who knows what? But take the initiative because no one's going to hand you anything. You just got to, there's no trophies for uh, just showing up anymore. You got to, you want it, you got to go make it happen one way or the other. So take the initiative, take some risks. You know, think about the risks first. <laughs> no, but, you know, just go do something. And if, uh, I get a little frustrated in that in my class, I'll be like, hey, here's a great opportunity uh, for an extracurricular activity where you can learn some software. And everyone rolls mm -hmm. their eyes like, oh, God, I want to learn software. And mm -hmm. so an example, at Emerson College right now, there are professors that have connections with Salesforce.com as well as HubSpot. One's a customer relationship management, CRM. The other is marketing automation. Now, I happen to have come from these two worlds, and I did very well there. And I know that if you go get certification for free at Emerson, when you get when you graduate, you'll get a job, a well-paid yeah. job. For the simple yeah. reason that old dogs like me don't want to learn that stuff. We want to hire someone like you. So, <laughs> That's so real. <laughs> right. So go get the certification and they'll get the job. It's going to pay well. And if you don't like it, two years, do something else. But you will have had all these amazing experiences, hopefully, um, doing something cool, relevant to communications that your colleagues who didn't get that training aren't doing. I'm just thinking if I was, uh, when I was a student in college, if I had been offered that, I probably would have been like, okay, I don't really, sounds boring. I don't think that's what I want to do. Because in my mind, when I was in college, I was like, 100% of what I do in marketing is going to be like leading a team and coming up with the creative ideas. And I'm probably going to start in my dream job and not have to work my way up to the top, you know, by doing a bunch of paperwork and Salesforce and all these things. But now with a few years in the industry, I'm like, wow, that's a very useful thing to have. And that does make a, I, I did the hiring process for the marketing company that I used to work at. And we were looking for people with Salesforce and we had a really hard time finding them. You know, it's like, it's so, um, so interesting, you know, cause I feel like I'm more recent and I remember being at Emerson and it does feel like there's a lot of opportunities. And so it's hard to know what's relevant and what's important. And mm -hmm. I was a lot more drawn to like free pottery on the Boston common than I was, you know, free ch chalk drawing lessons. You know, I was like, this is, and you know, they, those things are fun and awesome, but it is pretty interesting to think about how something like a couple of classes taking, uh, doing Salesforce it, from my perspective now, I'm like, that would change your career. That would start you significantly higher salary <laughs> than if you don't have it and it's hard because you're right you can't really tell um can't really tell somebody who's not that interested or who doesn't have that it felt uh, graduating to me felt like an abstract concept when i was in college 
I'd been in school my whole life. I'd never done anything else. I'd worked the entire time I was in school. So I was like, I know how to work. I know what it's like washing tables and, uh, you know, making roll-ups and waiting on people and doing all that stuff that I was doing at the restaurants and, you know, and also the music management that I was doing. I was like, this is what working is. I've already got it. So I'm just going to graduate and it's going to be the same. And it was so different and such, such a difficult adjustment. It was like one of the hardest things I went through was graduating college and realizing that like I have to um, face the rest of my life when it comes to my work attitude. It can't just be like, I'm just going to work here for two weeks and then quit because it's boring and then go work somewhere else. And, you know, my pack of like drinking buddies were going from restaurant to restaurant, you know, like job to job, handing out flyers, you know, in downtown crossing and doing all these crazy things, just fun, but none of it was sustainable. And when I graduated, I was like, I need to do a job that, you know, I can do for more than three months. And that was when I had to sort of buckle down and be like, I wish I had this certification. Wow. Having, having a desk job was also a big deal for me because I felt like having a desk job seemed so boring. And then trying to find a desk job was so hard. And then I got it and it was like the best. I was like, this is luxury. I come in every morning. There's bagels and coffee for free. I can just sit in my desk. I have a hundred trinkets in each drawer that I have. I have pictures of my friends. It's my desk. I have like full reign over this little area in an office. I get to hang out with my coworkers. I miss in-person working so much because I actually loved having a desk job. I thought the desk was the best part of the job. I was like, this is my spot. It's so cool. And I love trinkets. I have trinkets all over here. I can show you some. And I have this like cute little tiny TV clock, but it does all sorts of like little pictures and stuff. And it's just little things like that. I have fake flowers all behind my thing. You can't see. You can see I have a lot of plants. They're all fake. Um, but it's just like having these little things makes me so happy. And I think it's because I was like a transient my whole career before then, you know, I never settled. So it was just a different perspective. Anyway, okay, I'm going to, oh no, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you found what brings you happiness and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's going to change. I'm not always going to like want to have this job, but I'm mm -hmm. so happy in it now. And I think that's another thing is not rushing to the end. I don't want to have my dream job right now. I have my dream job. I've had dream jobs. It doesn't need to be one. It's kind of like the soulmate thing. You know, you can, you can, um, I think you can really love and appreciate your job if it's not your dream job. I don't think that you need to, you know, they say like, oh, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I think that you do have to do work that you don't want to do most you, of the time and you can still love your job. <laughs> well, let, let, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I was a photographer. I got paid to go be a, a witness to, his, to history. Then when I became a commercial shooter, I got paid to make people and things look cool. Hey, not bad. Then I became a marketer. Oh, minister of shameless propaganda and institutionalized. I mean, advertising. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got to travel around the world. Yeah, that, I, I love these jobs. Um, but that said, there are always days when like, oh, crap, I got to get on another freaking airplane and fly to who knows where. Oh, Lord. You know. Mm -hmm. That's how life is. It's uh, but if you can come away with a few victories, if you if you generally most of the time feel good about what you're doing, you mm -hmm. win. Now I'm I'm lucky. I get to teach. I get to give back. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it's, I, I saw this great meme. Teachers don't do it for the income. They do it for the outcome. Oh, so, that's good. Oh, I love that. Uh, that. That hits the nail on the head for the simple reason that you're trying to, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a position where I, I can pass on some knowledge to younger people who can go out, take this knowledge and do their own thing with it. And when they do it, especially with the digital storytelling, the video work, mm-hmm. and they come back with an amazing piece, there is no better feeling. It's a million dollars. It's a billion dollar feeling to yeah. say, wow, look at this young person. They now can do something really cool. And I was a minor part of that. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. But having said that, there are plenty of days I'm like, oh, shit, man, there's a pain in the ass. I <laughs> or the students drive me absolutely crazy. How am I going to help him or her? And, you know, this is yeah. like this is how it is. So it's I guess as long as you're going in the direction that 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 provides the opportunity for joy, you're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to make the joy, you know, sometimes it just has to be your cup of coffee. Sometimes you just have a bad day and work is hard and you just have to say like, fine, I'm going to put three scoops of sugar in my coffee today. And that's going to be the highlight of my day. And that's okay. Cause tomorrow's going to be better. If that works for you. Um, yeah. So speaking of coffee highlight out there, they have these little battery powered frothers. Those uh-huh. things are awesome. That That's my, for those caffeine addicted people like me, you froth up some milk, we put in that coffee and it's like, Ooh, I feel like I'm in Europe. This is cool. I used to always think that my, uh, my dad was just kind of goofy. Cause he always had like a little thing that he was excited about, like sort of like a gadget or something. He's all, he was a very gadgety guy and I've grown into a very gadgety girl. I like that stuff. But I think that my dad, my dad is like one of the happiest people I know. Like, I just think he's just like, he's pretty much always content. He's not one of those people who's either like a one or a 10 on the scale. He's like usually at like an eight, you know, he's just chill, just a happy guy. And I really have to attribute a lot of it to, I think he just finds a lot of joy in little things. And I, I try so hard to be like that you know every little thing that i have a gadget a little you know i'll be you know watching a good tv show and i just let myself be super happy about it and i used to i think it's pretty common to be like oh it's just a show like it's you know whatever other people think it's stupid that actor in the show got canceled you know like no i love the show it makes me happy. I'm just going to carry that all day. And if anybody asks why I'm in a good mood, I'm going to say, because I'm watching the best show in the world and you don't have to like it, you know, mm-hmm. little coffee frothers and things like that. They can just make such a big difference in your life if you just sort of let yourself be excited by them. Well, you know, it makes you think, you know, for, for people who are cynical, mm-hmm. is that a fun state? Because yeah. I guess the way I'm, in, I'm interpreting that, if you're cynical there's probably some some real negative stuff going on in your life that's that's bringing you down because if you, if that's your natural reaction to to do something that would be what i would consider on the negative versus the positive side i'm thinking you know you you got a you got a lot of luggage you're contending with wouldn't it be nice yeah. to just leave it at the door and carry on without it I struggle with cynicism so much. Moving to the West Coast was a really big deal for me because I think that before that I had this, I think it's a very East Coast attitude, I think, um, of the like, if you're, if you're smart enough, you'll know to be miserable, you know, like you'll, you'll know it's like that, like pick apart everything. I know. Well, I really felt like there, I, I lived with this girl who was just like, 
oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go outside. You know, she was like just happy and like she would do her work. And she's like, I like my work. My boss is so nice. And I, when I first moved in, I was like, she's so annoying. Like she's just like always, then and then everything is great. It's so good. And I was like, I never feel like that. And it's like, you know, I don't, you know, she had like a live, laugh, love sticker. You know what I mean? Like she's like that, that person. And then I, I was like pretty miserable. I didn't really have any friends. And I was like, starting this new chapter of my life and trying to figure out how I wanted to start over. And I saw something on Twitter and I've talked about this on my other show, but I saw somebody just wrote on the internet, you know, why does everybody hate the live, laugh, love girls? They're literally right. And I just was like, whoa, I was like, that's not stupid. She wakes up every day and like enjoys her life. And she goes to bed every day and just enjoys her life. And I'm over here like, doesn't she know that things are really bad in the economy right now? Like, I'm not the smart one. <laughs> she's got it. She's like doing good things. And she's not, you know, I'm not like making things better by being like worried and anxious and tense and a downer. And I, I just was like, what does she do? She just, she just lets herself enjoy things. She doesn't say, you know, oh, I love this, but it is actually made by, you know, unfair factories that I'm like, it's good to know those things. It's good to be involved. But if I'm not going to do anything about it, being miserable about it doesn't help. You know, I like to eat meat. I know about factory farms. I'm really upset about it. I don't, I'm not going to do something about it. And I, maybe someday I will. I'd really love to get to a point in my diet where it, I know how to cook and I can like make myself healthy meals and be a vegetarian. But right now I know that that's not feasible for me. And so if I just like make myself miserable and feel guilty about it and hate myself and ruin it for myself, I don't get to enjoy the burger. And I think that was a really big epiphany for me was like, I'm not smart because I'm thinking about all the bad things. I'm just stressing myself out. And if I just focus on what makes me happy and do what I can for my community and for, you know, what I think is right, then that's enough. And and there you go. And, and that's enough. You know, one of the things I've been doing as of late last year or so is a news diet. Mm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a, I was a photojournalist. I'm, I'm a poli-sci history type of guy. Um, and I always have been, but now it's like, you know what? I, I'll still stay attuned. I'll, I'll know what's happening in the world, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to chime into the news three or four times a day. Why bother? I mean, who needs all the cortisol? Who needs all the uh, the uh, anxiety-producing hormones from from bad news? And it's not that I'm going to go out and sing fair, you know, um, start telling fairy tales and go hug a tree and look for unicorns and rainbows. But I'm going to do I'm going to do what makes me feel good. It doesn't hurt other people. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not trying to be all Pollyannish or whatever. It's just like, hey. Why waste time on stuff that doesn't make you feel good? Recently, I'm asking myself, living in Boston, why do I live somewhere where the air hurts me because it's so cold? But it's the same idea. Why keep exposing yourself to something that's 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 negative? That you know, the definition of of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, yeah. If you're in my world, if you're cynical and sort of uh, you know just a, a downer. Do something about it. Don't go through life that way. You only hear once, unless maybe you're a Hindu or something. Um, but I'm not. I'm here once. I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. And sure, there's plenty of times when it absolutely sucks. Okay, this is the human nature. of This is the nature of things, rather. But I'm not going to get hung up on it. I'll give you an example. Last spring, I was really sick. It wasn't COVID. 
but I had a, it's called a pleural fusion. It's, I had all this crap in my lung, never been a smoker, mm. just bad luck. And it was pretty serious. I'm in the hospital and all that. And surgeon comes in and they're telling me about all these pretty dramatic things they're going to have to do with my lung. And I'm like, no, oh, that's, that's kind of a downer. And I'm being a wise ass. So I say after Billy, like, so this is day surgery, right? <laughs> he looks at me and my wife looks at me with their gobsmack. Like, what, are you an idiot? I'm like, here's the thing. I know it's serious folks. And I can get all, you know, oh my God, scared to death. Why bother? I'm, I've got to go through the surgery no matter what. And I can go into it with a fatalistic attitude. Like, oh my God, my chances of survival are only X versus Y. And, you know, and get all freaked out about it, knowing that there's not a damn thing I can do. Or I can just say, hey, it is what it is. It's going to work out for the best. Blind faith and go. Yeah. So I went into that. It was a, overall, it was two weeks of not fun. But with, a, I think, a better attitude. And as a result, even though it wasn't the most wonderful experience in my life, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. So yeah. Half, the glass is half full versus half empty approach. I think it just makes you feel better. And if you feel better, quite honestly, more people want to be around you. I think I got better service from the nurses because, A, I wasn't a jerk. I tried <sighs> to be a kind person and I tried to be upbeat. So I got extra uh, ice cream sundaes. There you go. That's awesome. More That's importantly, awesome. more importantly, there was more human connection there. And when you're stuck in a hospital room looking at the ceiling tile and you know the same news over and over, whatever's on TV, having that human connection with other people that are empathetic can make a huge difference. If you're yeah. a real jerk, do people want to hang out with you and share that empathy? No. But by being a good person, by not getting hung up in all the drama, all the negativity, it's just more fun for people to be there. And I'm one who believes in having folks around that the feeling of community is so much better than that of isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is some advice? We're just, I, I, that's beautiful. I'm going to let it hang in the air, but we're also 42 minutes in and I've got wow. a couple things left. We are. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I knew, I knew I was like, Mark's a good person to have on the show. Cause there's never going to be a quiet moment. <laughs> um, for you and for me, I, I just feel like we have the same conversational style we really we've we've always had good conversations i think um all right so what is some advice that you would give to your 25 year old self uh okay uh buy ibm stock that would have been a good <laughs> um don't bother comparing yourself to other folks that in, in a meaningless manner so i you know my big thing was, oh, I, I want to be the next, um, you know, uh, the, the next major photojournalist, the next Dick Durrance, the next um, Frank Kappa. No, be, be, be yourself, you know, just, and take it easy on myself. I took an awful lot of stupid risks because I thought, oh, this is what's expected of this persona. And it mm -hmm. turns out it really wasn't you know, that I was chasing my own tail, trying to live up to somebody else's expectations versus what was really important. What is some advice that you think your 25 year old self might give you? Hmm. Hmm. That's a really good question that I, I don't have a, an immediate pithy response. I mean, that's going to require some thought. So 25-year-old self. You know, I I don't know. I, 
I, I could come up with some bullshit, but being honest, I, I can't really think of anything that that 25 year old would have to offer me at my stage of life. And I, I don't mean to sound arrogant with that. It's just that at a young, at a young stage, I had firm beliefs and I should definitely do it this way. Come to find out there are a million ways of doing it. And I just happened to pick one where I beat myself up more than I needed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like you've gone through a lot of transformations. You know, you've, you've had your heart attacks, you've had some career changes. It seems like you've really put in the work to sort of figuring yourself out. I think that sometimes we fall into ruts and it feels like, oh my God, it's been, I've been doing the same thing for so long. Maybe your 25 year old self would help shake you out of it. But I do think you've been pretty, pretty proactive in sort of figuring yourself out and chasing your dreams and Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here's what the 25 year old would say. He would say, dude, get out more. Mm. And I would say my, my rebuttal would be, yeah, um, had a health issue, a lot of COVID <laughs> and I've done a lot of the stuff I've wanted to do. So there, there would be a discussion back and forth, but at 25, you're still, and I am still curious about life and I still love to travel. It's just, there's uh, an awful lot of restrictions now. So the 25 year old would probably try to kick my butt a little bit and say, yeah, okay, stop making excuses, old man, get on that airplane, go do something crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. All right. I have a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, so I want you to answer these questions. What would you have said at 25 and what would you say now? Okay. First one, favorite song. <laughs> well, at 25, mm -hmm. why don't we get drunk and screw Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> okay. How about now? Favorite song now. Um, the Wellerman song, the sea shanty. Oh, love that. Okay. Very cool. Celebrity you admired at 25. I admired at 25. Um, probably Nick Nolte. He was in that movie called Under Fire about a photojournalist. Cool. Cool. Celebrity you admire now? Hmm. That I admire now? Probably Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. <laughs> cool, mean, cool. Talk about making your presence known. That guy rocks. Uh, what was your favorite article of clothing when you were 25? My sunglasses. What's your favorite article of clothing now? My hat. I got a bald spot. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cozy. Well, no, it's, I, I'm cold. <laughs> what was your favorite movie at 25? Uh, pro that movie, uh, Under Fire, Nick Nolte. How about now? Uh, favorite movie. Hmm. It's, um, nothing comes to mind other than what I recently saw, The Kingsman. But there's, uh, I can't really think of a, a movie that I completely identify with. Hmm. What was the best concert you'd ever been to when you were 25? It was a Jimmy Buffett show. I was a big parrot hit. I still am. Um, Jimmy Buffett. They actually played in Boston Common. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's awesome. How about how about now? What's the best concert you've been to now? Um, uh, what's it called? Straight Without Chaser. It's a um, it's an in Indiana University acapella group that came to the music theater near nearby. Uh, my wife went to IU, so okay. she kind of got me into them and Great story. We showed up with IU paraphernalia and we showed it and they were doing the IU thing. It was, it was really cool. We had interaction with the band or the, the singers while they were performing. That was a lot of fun. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Also very different from a Jimmy Buffett, Buffett concert. Worlds so I think apart, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we're probably the youngest people there. <laughs> um, and finally, what was your favorite drink when you were 25? Rum. What's your favorite drink now? Tequila. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so that concludes our question and answer portion of the show. Um, do you want to plug anything? Give any final words? Tell people to support you somehow? Well, you know, for anyone list, interested in learning more about Campus on the Common and the faculty at the School of Communication, there's a podcast called Campus on the Common, the, Com the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College and beyond. I'm your host and Emerson College alumnus, Mark Brody. So that's my shameless plug for the podcast. And, you know, tune in. You can learn an awful lot about really cool areas of academia that we cover. In terms of last minute advice, what I would say to people is, especially younger people, take the initiative. Don't wait for it to be given to you. Just take the initiative and experience failure. And what I mean by that, the way I define failure, failure's first attempt in learning usually requires errors. And if you're not making errors, you're not trying hard enough. 